Everybody, this is Charlie from Anthrax, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. This is Mark Metcalf, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey and Domain Cleveland Radio. You are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time. Rise again, 311, Cedar, Mudvan, many more. May 16th through the 19th, Columbus, Ohio. Tickets on sale now at SonicTempleFestival.com. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's Boondoggle. And a real quick housekeeping note, if you're watching us on YouTube or Rumble or BitChute or Odyssey, please hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, or whatever podcast platform you utilize, please hit that follow and subscribe button so we can continue to bring you conversations like the one I'm bringing you today. We are getting our hands dirty because we're getting in the soil with my man, Tim King. How you doing? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, good. Yeah, so uh, you know, we had a little pre-conversation swapping, swapping stories about loving the weather here in the Midwest, you know, and future goals and and whatnot but uh while we're going back while we're taking it back usually when i have people on for the first time i like to get a, a quick background so do you remember originally what you wanted to be when you grew up uh oddly enough i was all set to go to the university of miami and study marine biology i uh have a huge love for like the ocean and saltwater aquariums and you know everything to do with that and i was taking all these uh you know, biology classes and animal study classes and all that. And that's what I had my heart set on. And the uh, the band I was in at the time, it was a, a death metal band called Oppressor. We got a record deal. And I was kind of like, well, do I follow what, I want, what I'm thinking about with my career path? Or do I chase down this rabbit hole of the, uh, the record deal and seeing where that goes? And well, here you are. Here I am now today. So, uh, <laughs> I know not, you'd already be a, living in a better climate right now if you had pursued the other way, probably, right? Yeah, I'd be out on a nice boat tagging some, you know, tiger sharks or doing some marine research out in Florida or the Bahamas instead of uh, sitting here in negative 14 degrees Chicago, uh, <laughs> being like, where I'd, why did I decide to do this again? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... You know, I guess, you know, everything happens for a reason stuff. But what was it, uh, you know, I mean, you had that love for, you know, marine biology and stuff. But what was it that about music uh, before you started the band 
thing before you even started playing? What what attracted you? Who are your, some of your influences that pulled you in? I mean, early, early on when I was uh, a little kid, we used to go to this pizza place every Friday night because uh, my dad loved the, uh, the thin crust pizza there. So we'd always go to this place. It was a little dive, but they had a jukebox and they had ACDC Highway to Hell in the jukebox. And literally, I would just play it over and over and over in the jukebox. And, you know, I just knew when I when we walked in there, these people would just cringe because like, oh, man, that's that kid that's going to be playing ACDC for the two hours that they're in here. And that really got me kind of into, you know, hard rock music. Uh, I wasn't really like, you know, dove into it or, or went crazy with it until I really heard. Uh, it wasn't until a buddy of mine on the playground in, in grade school brought Motley Crue shot at the devil, the cassette, his brother had bought it. And he's, he's like, guys, check this out. Look how cool these guys look on this cover. And it was just four of us in our little, you know, like uh posse, you know, our little friendship group. So we each got to pick somebody. I got to be Nikki six, the like leader of our, our pack got to be Vince Neil and, you know, yada, yada. But we were, playing the song bastard in music class because you used to be able to bring in music and the teacher couldn't even figure out that it was saying bastard and uh, <laughs> we didn't get we skated by on that one didn't get in trouble but uh, that kind of opened it up to like my whole like heavy metal journey after that i started discovering you know things like ozzy and judas priest and you know kind of that was when the whole you know kind of hair metal thing was going on but like wasp and Dokken and you know, things like that. And that just started my entire journey and I just fell in love with it. And uh, I had been playing the uh, viola in like third and fourth grade and I think fifth grade too. And that's where I got my start on on music. And I kind of just took to it because my great grandfather was first chair violinist for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So nobody else in my family is musical at all, but I think I kind of got the gene from him. And then I just, you know, as you get into high school, people start forming bands and things like that. And, you know, everybody needed a bass player. So I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll try the bass. And I just fell in love with the instrument and really never looked back. And I enjoyed playing shows and stuff. But, you know, I still really loved like aquariums and the ocean. So I was really torn. And it wasn't until, you know, getting that record deal that kind of tore me towards, you know, music. And I've always had a passion for you know, writing music, playing music, and the business side of it. I love the inner workings of like how a record label works or how distribution works or publishing or booking and stuff like that. So I always kind of liked to listen in and research and find out how, you know, all the inner workings work to the music business as well. I'm kind of one of those people that, you know, I'm either 100% in or 0% in, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's definitely good to, you know, if you're going to get into the music, the music business, you better learn the behind the scenes business or else you might be signing something you regret later. You know, you don't want to learn it the hard way. Oh yeah. Well, it yeah. saved my ass, you know, a quite a few times just for the fact that, you know, with not only, you know, do I have soil and the older we get, the less touring you want to do. And, you know, the old, the more things hurt when you wake up in the morning on a, on a bus that's shaken constantly and stuff. So I, you know, yeah. I've been real fortunate to have, you know, the record label pavement entertainment and get into management and do other type of things that have been able to, you know, supplement all that stuff. So you don't have to stay on the road eight, nine months out of the year to, to keep your sort of lifestyle going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
And then uh, you brought you had me thinking too when you're sharing that story about playing the jukebox at the pizzeria because it's like, you know, one thing I like to do when I go meet some friends at, at uh, you know, one of the local watering holes or something, and you know, I, I like to test the crowd out. Now it touch tunes, you know, you oh, can be yeah. incognito, you know. So I'll either go from like all of a sudden throwing on a ringworm song or something like that, or uh, uh, Richard Cheese, and just scan the faces of the crowd, see how they. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I love it. I love it now with the digital jukeboxes and the places that have them because, you know, you basically have everything you can find on like Spotify or YouTube or whatever at your fingertips. And you know, if you're in a more conservative place or you know, like a college, like with a bunch of college kids sitting around or something, sometimes it's fun to play that sort of stuff and just look at the looks on their faces. Exactly. Like I got to, the one place I go to. There's like a much older crowd so they're you know maybe jamming frank sinatra and stuff so i kind of <laughs> ruined their day but oh so you really get it going yeah throwing yeah, some, yeah. Like, your escape plan or something <laughs> exactly and then uh as you started uh first forming uh you know uh your early bands what was the music scene like for you in the chicago area uh it was it was really cool i mean chicago's always been you know chicago runs hot and cold uh, it's not like, you know, L.A. or New York where the music scenes are constantly thriving or, you know, now Nashville and stuff. Chicago's always kind of been like sort of a hot and cold place. Like industrial yeah. was gigantic there. And you had like uh, ministry and, you know, KMFDM and, you know, all like wax tracks. The record label was there and they like signed skinny, <laughs> and, you know, industrial like Cubanate. All these, you know, bands are like really huge industrial uh for a while then all of a sudden you know smashing pumpkins came about and it was like a really big alternative scene in chicago then you know bands like disturbed and us and chevelle and mudvayne started coming and you know there's a thriving new metal scene and all these record labels were you know flocking to chicago to sign some of the new metal bands and you know as of late there's really not much going on as far as like like a scene you know it's kind of all yeah. over the place like the the proper Chicago city limits. It's kind of like, you know, you get some indie rock, you know, and, you know, things like Fallout Boy and stuff were kind of big here. And then, you know, Rise Against kind of created its own little scene, but all that's kind of gone away. There's really, there's really nothing really popping right now. It's kind of just all over the place in the scene. Yeah. I kind of think uh, Cleveland's definitely much the same, you know, it's, uh, and then, and I noticed too, like after, uh, I mean, we still got, you know, some somewhat of like a fellowship or whatever, you know, here. But, you know, once we lost like a lot of like the the main like like Peabody's and the fantasy and stuff like that, especially after the, uh, you know, COVID and everything, you know, it's like, I mean, we still got the Agora, but it's like in those bigger places, they're only going to bring in like the bigger bands. But as for a, like the local scene and what used to be, it's it's not what it used to be, you know? Oh, yeah. Peabody's was always one of my favorite stops at Cleveland. That and the Cleveland House of Blues. And then, you know, yeah. if you get on a bigger tour or, you know, Mushroom Head would invite you out to play or whatever, you'd get in the Agora or something like that. But, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was such a thriving scene back in the day. It was so fun. You know, I've had many a times, you know, at the Cleveland House of Blues or at Peabody's for the smaller shows and stuff and, you know, playing pool afterwards, hanging out with the crowds and, They'd have those uh, 
I forget what they call them, but they're those people that take like the grinders with all the sparks shooting around in like the side rooms and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's really a cool scene. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely miss Peabody's, man. I mean, so many so many good memories I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Mostly due to the, the shots that you do after the show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I used to, I mean, I'm still friends to this day with the, uh, the past owners, like Chris Z now runs the Agora and stuff, but then uh, before him, Dan Cole, and uh, I had Dan on, and we talked about the old, old Peabody stories, the ones that we could talk about with the statute of limitations and now, you know, <laughs> past. Absolutely. But uh, so then when, uh, you know, at, you guys were playing around the scene, you you got signed with the, uh, um, sorry, what was the name of your oppressor? Oh. Yeah, we got signed with Oppressor, uh, and we did really well with Oppressor, you know, for Death Model. We toured with Cannibal Corpse, and uh, we went overseas and toured with Cradle of Filth, and we did all kinds of tours with, like, Malevolent Creation and Immolation and, you know, all those heavier-type bands, and we really made a, a pretty good name for ourselves, put out three records, you know, went to Europe a couple of times and stuff, but what uh, what we were noticing is, you know, the black metal scene was really, really... Uh, up and coming, you know, in the, in the later nineties and kind of taking over, people were kind of getting a little tired of death metal and they were really getting into this, you know, the Norwegian black metal or just black metal in general, where they put on the corpse paint and, you know, sing about Satan and, you know, killing people and stuff. And it was, it just was not living their gimmick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was just not stuff we were into. It's like, you're, (laughs) you're looking like a half-ass kiss and you're not playing nearly as well as half the death metal bands out there real sloppy just kind of you know out of tune guitars and stuff and that just wasn't what we were about we were you know really about like technicality and playing your music and you know doing it for the music not the image whatsoever and uh you know three out of the four members of oppressor we just kind of decided to start you know as a side project and just for fun just start working on stuff that we uh you know, writing some stuff and playing some stuff that we grew up on, like Sabbath. And I was really into like Caius and John Garcia's side project bands. And we really liked that Corrosion of Conformity Wise Blood record and early Metallica. And we just started kind of putting all that in sort of in a blender. And that's how Soil came about. And I actually discovered our singer Ryan McCombs on an unsigned band compilation. And the only thing that was on that was a uh, mailing address. So I wrote him a handwritten letter of all things and uh, mailed it to him wow. and uh, eventually he caught his guitar player didn't want to give it to him because he was like I don't want to lose my vocalist but he's like you know I have to give him this piece of mail that came so Ryan called me and we talked and that's basically how soil came about and was formed uh, and we just kept getting bigger and bigger in the scene and it just kind of overshadowed everything else we were doing and we you know went full throttle with soil ended up getting a, a small independent deal that didn't work out so well and then uh, eventually signing, we got there was a major label bidding war that started on us because of the song Halo. And we eventually ended up going with uh, Clive Davis and Jay Records. And that's, you know, what started it all, gave us our career and blew the band up to big proportions. And um, like, I'm always uh, uh, curious about like uh, inspirations on, you know, band names, like what, what uh, you know, what coming up with soil? What was the behind the this you know behind that picking that name? 
Well, we we had a name picked out, and I can't remember what it was. And we had told a few people, you know, what the name was. And this other local band stole the name from us and started playing shows before we did and got the name out there and kind of, you know, ripped it out from underneath of us. And I forget what it was. It was before the Internet where you could see who else is out there. and everything. Yeah, exactly. So then then we were on the fence of calling the band Dishonor, which was kind of more of like a like a hardcore or, you know, you know, punk type name for a band which really didn't fit what we were doing and then our guitar player was listening to uh entombed wolverine blues on his way to, to practice and he came in and he's like you know i saw the track listing on wolverine blues and one of the songs is called rotten soil he's like you know what if we took off the rotten part and just called the band soil and we were all like that sounds really cool you know uh nice this, the name's kind of generic and we've learned over the years that when you go in the initial days when you went to google it and stuff like that it pulls up you know dirt and soil and all that other sort of stuff it's kind of like naming your band cake or corn or you know one of those you know train or something like that you know it's it's not the most uh original name to to get away from as far as like if you called yourself metallica or you know limp biscuit or something but uh the name suited us we were very you know organic based we weren't using all like the tricks and dazzles and stuff. Very, you know, just in your face, heavy, organic type music. And it, it fit well. And, uh, you know, we customized the logo with the little eye, which is some little, you know, the, all these snap decisions you make early on, you know. Oh, let's yeah. just make it a little eye type thing. And it's become like our, you know, trademark thing for the logo and stuff. You don't realize it at the time when you're doing it. But, you know, here we are 27 years later and, still going and it's like the, all those little type things that you just make a snap you know career decision on you're like man that could have gone so many different ways you know yeah i was uh, you know i was curious about the the little eye too i wasn't sure if it was like you know it uh meant you know soil meant something else you know um but uh I, and then i was also thinking well you're sharing your story about you know originally wanting to be a marine biologist i wasn't sure if another band member was like a you know a horticulturalist or you know worked with gardening <laughs> or something and i don't know <laughs> well, one, one of the guys was really into smoking pot so maybe that <laughs> yeah. well, there you go yeah they make sure the soil's <laughs> right for that <laughs> and, and then uh you'd mentioned uh the bidding war for you guys and how uh, you know you, were, you ended up selling, working with Clyde Davis. But would you say, I mean, for such a legendary name in the industry, would you say that your, uh, you know, uh, desire to know more about the business and know behind the scenes and get get all in kind of helped guide you guys to to that as well? Yeah, I mean, we had like five labels that all had you know offers on the table. You know, Atlantic Records, RCA. J Records, Electra, and uh, what was the other? Warner Brothers, and uh, you know, I, me being more business savvy, I was asking all kinds of questions, like retail questions. I was asking about international, yeah. and all these people were just like, "This band guy knows about all this crap," you know, and <laughs> like, uh, oh shit, our cover's blown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, back then, people, you know, the musicians weren't quite too savvy on all that. You know, you couldn't just yeah. Google things like that, but. You know, I had worked at Red Distribution, which is now, you know, the orchard back in the day. So I kind of learned about, you know, sales figures and setting up retail and things. But to me, it was really important that whatever record label we went with, 
I didn't want to just focus on the United States. I knew that there was a whole world out there and that, you know, place and having been to Europe with, you know, oppressor and stuff that we really wanted uh, European presence and UK presence and Japan and Australia and stuff like that. And J Records and Clive Davis were the only label that really understood where I was coming from on that. And they were like, yeah, we want this to be an international band. We, you know, all the rest were like, man, you guys are really blown up in the States. We're going to focus in on the States and breaking you here. And then we'll get to those other territories after we make a huge story here to where J Records is like, let's just make a huge story everywhere and do it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, blessed be with that connotation because we just blew up in the UK out of nowhere because when uh, Scars was released here, it was released in the UK a couple months later and they just understood what we were all about right away. And when we went over there, we were just selling places out from the get-go. I mean, it was just crazy. So, you know, that extra, you know, incentive and and me kind of pushing for a label that would go international, you know, gave us a gigantic career in the UK right out of the bat that we still maintain to this day. Nice. And then, um, so Scars was put out with uh, Clive Davis and Jay Records then, right? What? Yeah. And uh, Halo was what originally kind of got you guys uh, on the radar. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit too about like, uh, you know, Halo, because I mean, it's still to this day, like I was, you know, getting ready for today. I was at the gym earlier working out. I was like, okay, let me listen to some soil tracks too, to get ready for talking to you. And that, that, that song still just like hits and gets you, gets you pumped up. What, when you were writing that song, what was like the inspiration or message? Uh, you feel you guys were trying to send with that? Well, I appreciate you saying that it still holds up. You know, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, to write a, to a timeless song. You know, there's a lot of bands that write hit songs, but there's a lot of bands that don't write timeless songs and to see soil go multi-generations and, or Halo rather go multi-generations the way it has and maintain its popularity as long as it has is, you know, we kind of struck a little lightning in the bottle with that and how that song came about is really kind of funny. Uh, I had come to practice with this riff and everybody was calling it the surf riff, which was the chorus for Halo, the original chorus. And it's the chorus of Halo, but it's sped up. It was very staccato. It was like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And we and the other two guitar players, you know, we built a song around that, you know, at practice. And the song was called Halo. And Ryan's vocals to that were, I will stone you, stone you, wrap my arms around you, I will stone you, stone you, my little, and then he'd scream Halo across it with that riff. And then we had this other song that was called God of the Day that was the uh, verses of Halo. And after practice or whatever, uh, we all went you know, our separate ways, but our two guitar players stayed back and we're just kind of going over some of the songs and riffs and you know, just kind of just sitting around, you know, just discussing what we had and things like that. And I, I, it was our guitar player, Adam, that said, you know what? These two songs, Halo and God of the Day, are, uh, are cool songs, but they're not quite hitting the mark standing by themselves. Why don't we take the chorus of Halo and just slow it down a little bit so Ryan, our singer, has a little bit of room to breathe in it and then take the verses from the song God of the Day and put them together. And they sat there and put them, put those two things together and presented it to us at practice. 
the next day and it, it just really flowed and worked well. So it's kind of funny how all that came about with was two songs that were mashed and came about from this like surf riff that I had come to practice with just on a whim. And uh, it's kind of, and we never even thought that Halo was a contender to be anything huge or anything. We just thought that it was a good song, but it went over great live. And when we went in the studio with Johnny K, he really gravitated towards that song and, and honed it in on what it was today. And it just took over a life of its own. It's kind of like one of those sweet child of mine stories where Slash is like, I was just messing around warming up and Axel's like, that's awesome. What, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's just garbage. You know, and all of a sudden it's one of their biggest songs they ever wrote. It's it's funny how things like that come about, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, I, I believe now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Scars came out, it actually released on 9-11, didn't it? Yep, September 11th, 2001. A horrible, an exciting yet horrible day. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is your first major label release. You guys are stoked. You knew it was going to drop that day, right? You're getting ready to take on the world. I, I mean, what was that feeling like when you guys get up and it's on every news channel? And they're not talking about, you know, scars. Well, we were we were actually in the air when it happened. Uh Mm. To give you the to give you the the kind of uh, blowback to that one, uh, you know, Halo had exploded on this radio station WJRR in Orlando, Florida, and uh, it was a hit single before the record was even done. So we had actually had the cart before the horse. So we got in the studio, got the record done as fast as we could to capitalize on the success that Halo was having. So what we did is we did a special. Uh, performance on September 10th, 2001 in Orlando, Florida, played the House of Blues, sold out, had a record retailer come there. They sold 2,000 copies of the record just right there and then at the, uh, you know, in advance the night before. Uh, and then we were flying back home the next morning to play a sold out show at the Chicago Metro in our hometown. And we were in the air landed all of a sudden the national guard and uh the SWAT team surrounded the plane we were thinking man there's a murderer a criminal or something on the plane didn't know what was going on none of us could get our cell phones to work that's when we all had those nokia uh brick phones or whatever you know those early nokia 2000 phones and you know nobody could get a hold of anybody all the cell towers were were crammed and then we found out that a, the pilot came over and said that a plane had crashed into the world trade center this wow. is before the second plane had even crashed and they were stopping all the incoming planes. Cause I think if I'm not mistaken, one or two of the planes had left from Orlando to New York. So they didn't know if there were terrorists on board of ours or what was going on. Uh, so we had to, we got escorted off by the national guard and the SWAT team, you know, the plane checked the whole nine yards. And we found out the other plane had hit and you talk about taking the wind out of your sails and, yeah. Uh, not to, you know, I mean, it, first and foremost, it was the, a huge tragedy for the United States and the people that lost their lives and, you know, the relatives of those people. And, you know, that that's way more important than any sort of record that came out. But, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, your big records coming out, there's all this excitement around it. And just talk about taking the wind out of your sails. I had I went into Target that day. Uh to buy the record and there was nobody in there. There was one cashier sitting at the 
you know, 15 checkout lines. I walked up to the music section. There's a whole wall with like 150 soil CDs on the new release rack. So I, my head kind of hung down low, just grabbed 10 off the shelf and went up to the cashier and bought those, you know, to make myself feel a little bit better. And, you know, it, it definitely impacted that record. And, you know, there were, there was so much momentum on that record, but like we got hit by that drowning pool bodies slayer came out then yeah uh, all these all these bands had had come out with records you know around that time and everybody wanted to be uplifted so you know pod with alive and uh you know nickelback with how you remind me kind of got pushed ahead of all the stuff that we were doing and those bands blew up and sold double platinum triple platinum records because you know america was in a different state they wanted to be uplifted they wanted to be you know, they didn't want to hear about, I'm going to stone you, stone you, or let the bodies hit the floor type stuff. So it yeah. severely impacted. I mean, the record still did great. You know, it's over the years, it's crept up the gold, but, you know, I firmly believe that the way that record was going, we probably could have easily had a double platinum record at that, at that time. If, you know, it had come out a couple months earlier, if 9-11 never happened, you know, could have, should have, would have, but, you know, uh, we still did quite well and made a career for ourselves and I can't complain one iota. And again, you know, the tragedy that happened upon America and the people that lost their lives and everything that happened in New York, you know, far excels a, you know, an album from a Chicago band that came out at that time. I'm not crying woe is me by any means, but those are just kind of the facts behind the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, now uh, bringing us up currently, yeah, you know, I just had uh, Brian Scott from Union Underground on on the show too, and we're talking about uh, the Back to the Two Thousands tour. Uh, you guys are all hitting the road together, and he had mentioned that uh, you guys have had a good uh, relationship through the years. Back, maybe I guess formed during the Ozfest days or whatever. Um, what what are you excited about um, this upcoming tour, and what do you think is going to be different compared to? you know, back in the day when, when you would tour with these guys? Well, you know, I mean, I guess that's really the reason that uh, for the interview here is to to promote this, this awesome tour that we have coming up uh, starting March 1st. It's uh, Union Underground, Soil, Raw, and Flaw. And me and Brian have been friends for, you know, well over a decade. In fact, uh, the first tour we did on SCARS was with Union Underground. They were at the tail end of an education and rebellion. We were just starting out on scars and uh, we went on their last tour that they did through the States. And it was our first tour that we did through the States for scars. And we just instantly hit it off. We were all like Motley Crue fans and, you know, fans of, you know, all the same music and stuff. So we just instantly became friends and they were so fun to be on the road with. And, you know, we kept up our relationship and contact through all those years. And it was, it was really, you know, I was really disappointed because I love that that first Union record so much. I was disappointed to hear that they had, you know, broken up uh, before the second record was even completed. And uh, I stayed in contact with Brian for many years, and he formed a great band called Cult to Follow, which I really liked too. And uh, I started talking to Brian about maybe doing a little side project with him singing on it, because when uh, when Ryan, our singer, uh, left the band we our first choice was to bring in brian from union underground and he just didn't have you know he wasn't in the mindset to rejoin another band union was 
pretty uh, freshly broken up at the time. And, you know, he just wanted to focus in on other things. So it never happened, but always loved his voice so much that me, Brian Scott, my guitar player, Adam from Soil and Will Hunt from Evanescence formed a little side project called Into the Fire. And uh, we put out three songs, you know, all of our schedules were so hectic and stuff. We really didn't have time for much more, but we did three songs, two videos, released it on my label pavement. And, you know, it gained a lot of excitement. People were going goo goo gaga over it. And that got me and Brian talking of, Hey, why don't we, uh, you know, why don't we do a union underground soil tour? You know, cause Brian was writing new union underground material, talking about getting the band back together and stuff like that. So this whole thing was a brainchild of me and Brian that we'd been talking about for a long time. And we kind of wanted just to bring everything back to those good old Ozfest days where, you know, you'd, go to a show, you're all younger, you'd go, you'd have a few beers, you'd have some fun, you'd hang out with friends, you know, do a little parking lot party, stuff like that, you know, and what's great now is all of our fans from back then are, are, you know, are grown up our age or older or whatever. They have kids of their own. Some of them have grandkids, but they've gotten their kids into all of our bands and their kids have gotten their kids into it. So we span like three generations so there's there's a lot of excitement on this tour, you know, not only to kind of relive some of these people's childhoods, but for also, you know, their kids to see these bands play that they didn't get to see back in the day. And yeah. what we're doing for Soil is a special thing is we're playing only songs off the Scars record. And uh, Union Underground is playing mostly songs off their, you know, album because they only have one record. Uh and Ra is going to play a lot of the stuff off the off one record and, and flaw is going to do uh, stuff from through the eyes. And we're just going to make it a big, you know, not only nostalgia, but also kind of a celebration of that era of music, what we're doing today, that we're all still around today and just make it a real good time. You know, we had all this crap happen with COVID where everybody was scared and shut in and all that, you know, now that things are open back up, you know, we kind of want to relive those days a little bit more of where, you know, you go out, have a few drinks, not worry about things, have a good time. So we really, uh, really put a big emphasis on making this just a real fun package and a good time to be had by all with four bands from that era. Yeah. Well, I, I had already, uh, I'm, I'm sure you and Brian had already discussed it too. So it's not like I was coming up with this, but I, I, I pitched it to Brian when I spoke to him, I'm going to, Plant the seed with you as well. Um, you're going to be in my backyard on March 19th on this tour. And uh, what are the chances, since all the players are going to be in the room, about maybe uh, a couple Into the Fire uh, songs being played? We About every interview we've done, people have asked us that, which is really flattering because, you know, it just says to us that, you know, people really dug that, that project. Uh, you know, right now there's been – so much to get this tour together, you know, with, with all the production and scheduling and crews and all that sort of stuff that we've kind of been just focusing in on, you know, getting all that underway. But since us and Union Underground are going to be sharing a bus together, uh, we're going to have a lot of FaceTime and a lot of downtime together. So I think that, you know, once we get a few days, maybe a week into the tour that, uh, there might be a, a, a moment where we can go and, you know, get those back to get those into the fire songs revved up a little bit and maybe 
play one after the soil set or maybe after the Union Underground set. You know, we'll see where that takes us. I one thing I've learned in this business after all these years is never say never. So uh, yeah. we might throw a little surprise if if we if well, we do end up doing it. You know, we'll try our best to do it uh, at, over by the Cleveland show for you. So uh, awesome! Sounds good. Can't, can't make any yeah. promises, but we will see what happens. It, it is a couple weeks into the tour, so you know. What, what, did, what did Brian say? <laughs> uh, I mean, he it sounded like he it, it sounded like you guys maybe had already thought about it and uh, might have been discussed. So, so yeah, we we uh, discuss, we discussed it. If we can get it to fruition or not is another thing, you know. Yeah, and then um, I know that I, I I'm I'm. Sorry, I'm trying to remember like what what our time difference is with Chicago or whatever out there. But I, I think I'm an hour behind you. It is uh, 12:41 over here. Okay, I know you have to get off here shortly, right? Yeah, I just got to prepare for another interview. I got, I think I have about three minutes with you. All right. Well, then, uh, as we get ready and wrap up, let me ask you a couple questions I normally ask people I have on on the show. Sure. Um, Talking about the, we were talking about all the the generations that could be coming out to to see the show. People bringing their kids, and then their kids bringing their kids, or whatever. But as a uh, person that got all in and wanted to learn the the business end of things of what you got involved with, uh, and and wanted to stay on on track of of whatever you were pursuing, what class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school today? Uh Definitely a, a couple business classes, you know. Uh, if you're into music, a music theory class is always great. That helped me out a lot. Uh, I always recommend, always, no matter what you're going to do, is take a couple economics classes or business classes because that's going to help you through your entire life. And even though many of us despise and hate math, you're still going to need it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, who are three people who have inspired you and you can credit for making you the person you are today? Uh, you know, as far as like uh, famous people, you know, definitely Nikki Six from Motley Crue. Uh, always loved him for his business sense, the way he presented himself and for his stage presence and just his vision. I've uh, I've definitely modeled my own things that I've done in music off of, you know, a lot of Nikki's theories and practices and the way he does stuff and spreads his wings in the music industry. As far as, you know, like personal heroes, you know, my father and my uncle were two pivotal people in my life that, uh, you know, gave me my sense of humor, definitely gave me a, a really good work ethic and, you know, taught me not only to work hard, but you got to play hard too and reward yourself on things. So, uh, you know, I would say that those are probably my three, three biggest, uh, heroes in life if so to speak. Nice. And then uh, any message you have for our military members that are currently serving overseas? Be careful out there. Uh, you know, that's when you're, when you're part of something, whether it be the military or firefighters or policemen, you know, I kind of classify all them in the exact same realm. You know, you're, uh, you're putting your life on the line daily to help other people. And, uh, you know, I, I could throw doctors in on there too, but they're not really risking their lives with, you know, fires and guns and bullets and stuff like that flying around. But, you know, be careful out there. And I appreciate everything you guys do because, you know, 
somebody's got to do it. And it takes a lot of bravery and a lot of guts to do stuff like that. So thank you. My girlfriend's going to appreciate that uh, because she's a firefighter. So, you know, I'm always asking me being retired military. I'm always asking about the, the veterans, but you're right, man. The more I talk with her and learn, you know, it's like they're dealing with stuff, her and the police, man, they deal with so much here on a daily basis that I'm retired, you know, yeah. they, they're still in there. So well, yeah, some, some of your that. policemen, especially, you know, if you get into bad parts of Chicago and stuff, I mean, they're, they're in a war zone all their own, you know, with firefighting going on and, and stuff, yep. you know, and gunfire and people with automatic weapons. So it's, you know, uh, I know that a lot of times like the firefighters and police people sometimes get a little overlooked because it's not as glorified on TV and stuff like that. But, you know, they, they definitely deserve their due credit because they're, they're, you know, they're putting their lives on the line, you know, every, every single day as well. So all y'all, you know, military firefighters and police officers, I appreciate y'all. And thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I mean, though, and you know what I read about Chicago too, man, you know, well, I know, I mean, Cleveland, we got, we got some of our own, but it's like, uh, you know, figure out those, those, uh, those gun laws would, uh, would stop all that, but that's a, a different episode, I guess, to get into. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should, maybe we can, maybe we can, <laughs> the way we were talking earlier before this podcast, maybe we should have a doom and gloom interview. Next yeah. Time. Yeah. We'll I just, think I'll see if we can do a follow-up. Yeah. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just talk about all the evils in the world and talk, talk a bunch of shit about how, about this and that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll follow up with Shauna, see if we can set something up down the line. But, I mean, no, man, Tim, you've been a great, great, uh, easy interview, man. I could keep you on here. I'm trying to be cognizant of your time and stuff, though. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we can do a follow-up. And I definitely look forward to uh, connecting with you when you guys come to Cleveland. Awesome. Uh, yeah, just just let uh, let our publicist, Shauna, know anything you need for Cleveland. We'll get you hooked up. Look forward to meeting you in person. Uh, thanks for the interview. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'd love to do, come on and do a follow-up one and, you know, talk about some different topics. I, this was, this is a really fun thing to do. So thank you yeah. so much. And thank you to everybody out there that supported soil all these years and, you know, keep an eye out for the back to the two thousands tour coming up in uh, exactly five weeks. We start. Nice. And then one last favor before I let you go, you mind cutting a promo ID for the show? Just introduce sure. yourself and you're listening to today's boondoggle. Hey, this is Tim from Soil, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. Crank it up, listen it up, do anything you have to do, but make sure you tune in and check this out. Awesome. Tim, thanks a lot, man. We'll definitely do a follow-up. Awesome. I appreciate <laughs> that. You have a re great rest of your day, and have a good weekend, man. All right. You too. Take bye -bye. care. Bye-bye.